Well, good morning, folks. It's uh, really good to see you. It's good to be here again this morning, isn't it? Aren't you glad you're here in no place else? Aren't you glad you're here in the, in the house of God? Worshipping him, hearing from his word. We praise God for that. We praise God that we are here. And I really do, again, I want to welcome Felmy, your sister, sorry. The name is, I'm, I'm learning. I've got a lot of names. All right, I've got a lot of names. But we, we've been praying for you. So it's so good to see you here, isn't it? Yeah. Right, we're going through John's Gospel, and we're going to be, uh, continue our series going through John's Gospel this morning. Before we do that, let's bow our heads. Let's pray to God. Living God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for your living word. Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Holy Spirit, speak to us. Lord, give us ears to hear you. Lord, I pray. Uh, for my brothers and sisters before me. I pray, Lord, whatever they are going through, whatever troubles or worries or burdens they have, Lord, that they would lay it before you now, that they would hear you speak to them. God, speak to each one of us. Meet us where we are, God. Lord, we know that you give us all that we need, that you are sufficient for us, God. And we pray now that you would minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the psalm that we read this morning was a prayer that God would show us his ways, wasn't it? Teach us your ways. And here in our, in our series, we're at a point where Jesus is teaching his disciples his ways. And so we're going to pick up now John chapter 15, and we're reading verses 12 to 17. This is the Last Supper. Jesus uh, has shared his meal with the disciples. He's washed their feet. He's given them great teachings. He's just taught them that he is the true vine. And now we get to this part of his teaching. This is what it says. Verse 12. Follow along if you have it, or please uh, follow along on the screen. It says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the living and true God. Praise God for his word. I've got a question for you this morning. Have, you, have you, any of you um, heard this phrase, this saying, show me who your friends are and I'll show you who you are? Has anybody heard that saying before? Some of you? Uh, the, the idea is this, that you can tell a lot about a person by who their friends are. The, the people that we choose to surround ourselves with says a lot about the kind of people that we are, what our values are, where, where our heart is. And we read in the scriptures about a group called the Pharisees. They're the religious Jewish leaders at the time. And the Pharisees, they surrounded themselves with other like-minded Pharisees. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were an ambitious people. Many of them wanted to climb to the top of the, the religious ladder. It, they're described as people that desired 
the place of honor. They desired power and respect to the people. And much of what they did, they did so that the people would respect them and give them the place of honor. And so, who would they associate with? Who were the Pharisees' friends? Their friends were fellow Pharisees. And they would often surround themselves by people higher up on the religious ladder so that they too could climb and gain more and more respect. But in turn, they wouldn't associate themselves with the lowly. They wouldn't associate with the sinner. Because to associate with the sinner would make you a sinner. And so they didn't associate with them. They wanted nothing to do with the sinner. They had nothing to offer the sinner. No hope. No forgiveness. No mercy. They had none of that for the sinner. But Jesus, on the other hand, is the, the complete opposite to the Pharisees. There's a, there's a story in Luke 5 where Jesus is seen to be eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were the worst. They were the Jews that sold out their own people for the Romans. The money they got was, was blood money and the Jews hated them. Didn't just not like them, actively hated them. Jesus was seen eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees turn up, the holy men, and they're complaining that Jesus is eating with these people. And they ask the disciples, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replies, the healthy are in no need of a doctor. It's the sick that need a doctor. He said, I have not come to call the righteous or the self-righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. The Pharisees carry on complaining. They're not happy with this answer. This is what they said. They said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Oftentimes, when someone we love passes away, we get a headstone for them, don't we? In their grave. And on the grave, there might be an inscription. And it might be a summary of that person's life, who they were. What a summary this is from the Pharisees. Did you hear that? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's not bad, is it? What a summary of the person of Christ, the man who welcomes and eats with sinners. And aren't we glad for that? Aren't we glad for that this morning? That our Lord Jesus welcomes and eats with sinners. He came for the sinner, not the self-righteous. 2 Corinthians 5 Verse 18 to 19, this is a letter in the New Testament. It says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is our message, the gospel message, that Jesus came and died for the forgiveness of sins, that Jesus came and, and died for the sinner, like me and you. That if we repent, if we put our faith and trust in him, we will be forgiven and we will have eternal life. This is the message that we have. And Jesus says here in our passage, he says, No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. What love is this? What love is this? That God would love his enemies. Before Christ came into our hearts, we were enemies of God. Sinners. 
What love is this that God would send his son to die for sinners like me and you and call us friends? We who were once enemies with God, we who were once far off, God now calls us friends. What an amazing passage, what an amazing truth to hear that this morning. God calls us friend. This is amazing. A common question asked among Christians, you may have asked it yourself, is this. How do I know that I'm saved? Or how do I know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? I've listened to countless Q&As on this. And this question comes up all the time. It's a question that I've asked. Is it a question you've asked this morning? How do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? Has any of you asked that this morning? I certainly have. And whilst there's a myriad of responses, right, here in this text we find clear evidence that one is filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus says, if you are my friends, you will love one another as I have loved you. In other words, this is the evidence. This is the evidence that you belong to me, that you love one another as I have loved you. Remember this part, this teaching here that we read, in verses 12 to 17, is part of a Buddha teaching where Jesus says, I am the true vine. And he teaches that if we're not found in Jesus, if we are not abiding in Jesus, then we cannot bear fruit. And so the evidence that somebody is abiding in Christ and that Christ is abiding in us, that is living in us, dwelling in us, is that we would love one another as Christ loved us. 1 John, so this is the letter now from John to the churches. He said this, 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. He says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. Later on, same letter, chapter 4. Verse 20 to 21, this is what John says. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love a God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, here's the commandment again, whoever loves God must love his brother. Acts chapter 2, who knows this one? Who knows the story of Pentecost? Who knows this story? The Holy Spirit poured out, many speaking in tongues, there's about three of us. Who knows this story? Hands up. You know this story? There we go. In Acts chapter 2, right, we read about the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The, the apostles and the already disciples of Jesus. All right, they, were, they met as Jesus commanded them to do. And it says that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and they began to proclaim. They began to shout out the mighty works of God in other tongues. And there were Jews gathered from surrounding countries that had come to the feast and they heard these Galileans speaking in their language. How can this be? How can this be that they speak in our tongues and that we can understand them? Peter then goes on to preach to them and he preaches the gospel. He says, this man Jesus, whom you crucified, he was the one the prophets prophesied about. This man Jesus, whom you crucified, he doesn't pull any punches, he said, yeah, you, you did it. The man you crucified was innocent. He was 
the Son of God. And he died for the forgiveness of sins. Not only did he die on that cross, but on the third day he rose again. And we are witnesses to this resurrection. It says that those present were cut to the heart. They were absolutely cut to the heart when they realized that it was them that put to death the Holy One of God. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? It says they, 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 they cried out, brother, what shall we do? And the, uh, the apostle Peter, this is what he said. Listen to this. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, Peter warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amazing story. It says, having been baptized, what was the promise? You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means they su submitted themselves to the teachings of Christ Jesus. They surrendered to the word of God. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. They were filled with awe of God at the many wonders that God was doing through the apostles. This is what they did. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They sold everything. If a brother and sister had a need, they would sell what they owned and they would meet that need. They loved one another. They had all things in common. This was the work of the Holy Spirit, that you would love one another. And in, in John uh, chapter 13, same evening, same night Jesus is with the disciples, he said exactly the same thing. He said, love one another as I have loved you. And he says, by this might all men know that you are my disciples. That you love one another. This is the mark of the Christian. The mark of the Christian is that we love one another as Christ loved us. This is how we know. We as a church, I've been having many conversations of late about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think God is... is Sparking some conversations in us. And he wants us to think some more about this and explore about this. One common error is that some Christians read Acts chapter 2 and they say that the way to know you're filled with the Holy Spirit is that you speak in tongues. This is a common error. We read that the 3,000 that were added, that the, the Holy Spirit that was promised was given to them, there is no mention of any of them speaking in tongues. The mark of the Christian was submission to the Word of God. The mark of the Christian was mutual love between brother and sister. Not all have the gift of speaking in tongues. Some do. This is good. Isn't it good that we get gifts for the work and the glory of God? But it is not the mark of a Christian that you speak in tongues. You may have heard this teaching before. You may not be warned. This is not the truth. We know we're in Christ because we love one another. This is what Jesus says. How did Jesus love us though? Verse 13, listen to this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. 
We read elsewhere that God loved his enemies. He showed his love for us and that whilst we were still sinners, he sent his son to die for us. So you might be sitting there thinking, well, hold on, Jesus, I think you got that one wrong. Jesus, I think you made a slight mistake there. There is greater love than loving your friends, laying down your life for your friends. It's laying down your life for your enemy. Well, Jesus elsewhere does teach that, doesn't he? Love your enemies. Here he's talking about friendship. Friendship. What's the greatest way you can love your friend? It's to lay down your life for them. And Jesus says, that is the benchmark. What's he pointing to? He's pointing to his death on the cross. You know, this night, Jesus knows he's going to be betrayed. This night, he knows he's going to be arrested. He's aware of the agony he's about to suffer. He's aware of the cursing, of the slander, of the torment. He's aware of all of it. But he says, greater love has no one than this. And he laid down his life for friends. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I've said it already. You know, God showed his love for us. And whilst we were sinners, he sent his son to die for us. We read. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall inherit eternal life. Why did he come? Why did he die? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And his love drove him to the cross. His love for us so outweighed the shame of the cross that he endured it. Voluntarily. The Apostle Paul, this is how he, he, he phrases Jesus' exact command in this way, in Philippians chapter 2, you might know this one. Verse 3, this is what Paul says. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How does Christ show his love for us? He was obedient even unto death on a cross. Greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. What does this love look like? You know, for us, when Jesus says, that's the mark, that's the benchmark. You lay down your life for your friends, that's how I want you to love one another. What does that look like? Because me and you, we can't die on the cross for the forgiveness of each other's sins. There is no one single monumental act of love we can show that can replicate what Jesus did. But I think the Apostle Paul is telling us what it means to have the mind of Christ. It's laying down your life every single day. To count others, he says, more significant than yourselves. To put the needs of others above your own selfish ambitions. This night, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and he says, the servant is not greater than the master. You are to serve one another as I have served you. What does it mean? What does this look like in everyday life? This love of laying down your life for your Christian brothers and sisters. It's a life of service to one another. 
I found this definition of Christ's love for us. I, I should have got it up there. Apologies. Listen to this, though. It says, we can uh, define Jesus' love as a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one beloved. So, so love is self-sacrificing. It's a caring commitment, all right? And you're committed to the greater good of those that you love. This is what you seek. Everything that you do for the other person, every word that comes out of your mouth, every action towards your Christian and brother and sister is done for their greater good. If it doesn't come from this, it is not from love. This includes correction and rebuke and teaching. If somebody rebukes you, it can be good if they love you. But it can also be extremely toxic if it comes from the wrong place. Everything we do should come from this. And let me tell you, this is extremely countercultural in this day and age, you know? Everything in this day and age is self this and self that. Self love. Self-care, selfie, self, self, self. And it, I'll be honest, it seeped into the church. I once heard it taught, and, and for a long time I, I truly believed this myself, uh, that when Jesus said, love others as, as you love yourself, what he meant was, if you don't love yourself first, you can't love others. And there might be some wisdom in taking care of yourself so that you're in a fit state to care for others, but this was not the emphasis on what Jesus was teaching at all. Completely missed the emphasis. The emphasis was you love yourself enough. In the same way that you love yourself, which in the selfie era, yes, couldn't be more poignant, the same way that you love yourself, you need to love others. You need to pour your efforts into loving others. This same love that you have for yourself. And trust me, it's a lot. We love ourselves with a great love, you know. And Jesus is saying, lift your, lift your head. Lift your head from your phone and look around at the great need around you. I'm, 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 I'm using the selfie. You, you get it, I hope. Yes. And let me tell you, when we love in this way, we will find ourselves operating very differently from the world. I want to I tell you a story now, and I read it this week. It, it was about a man who was a firefighter paramedic, and he'd just come up from a really long shift, and he's driving home, and he falls asleep at his wheel, because he's done such a long shift, he's given out so much. He was only like 20 years old, he was a young man. And having fallen asleep at the wheel, he crashed into a lady. That lady was pregnant with child, and she also had a young daughter, uh, 19 months old, in the passenger seat. The man survived. The 19-month-year-old survived. The mum and the baby within her passed away. He said this was the, the worst day of his life, as you can imagine. And you can imagine for the husband, for the daughter, this was their worst day of their life as well. The man was a pastor who was a husband to this wife. He was a pastor. And the short of it is, he forgave this man. He spoke to the courts and he, and he said, I don't, I don't want to press charges. I want, I want the punishment revoked. I don't want it. And so instead of going to prison for a very long time, which according to the law he should have done, he just had to do community service. 
And they asked him, why? Why did you do this, pastor? He said, I remembered somebody said this in a sermon. In moments where tragedy happens or even hurt, there's opportunities to demonstrate grace or to exact vengeance. The pastor said, here was an opportunity where I could do that. And I chose to demonstrate grace. The grace that was bestowed upon him, he extended to this man. And to this day, they're friends. I read about it in the news. They're friends to this day. Their children know each other. And they both know the Lord Jesus. The man, we're told, when he heard those words from the pastor, I forgive you, he said it was like a weight came off of his shoulders. You know, the world doesn't promote this kind of love. The world doesn't recognize this kind of love, but we recognize this kind of love. When I see what that man did, I see Jesus. When I see the forgiveness and the love that this man demonstrated, I see Jesus. The world doesn't recognize it. How can a man do this? This relates to mission and evangelism. Let's read verse 16 together. We keep going. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. How does this love relate to mission and evangelism? Why is Jesus, in teaching about the love that we are to show one another, why does he throw in the importance of going and bearing fruit? I think it's this simple. If we bear fruit, if we are showing love in this place and we go and share the gospel and somebody comes and they see the authentic love that we share with one another, they will know the gospel that we are preaching is true. But how can we preach love, forgiveness, mercy, grace, commitment, faithfulness? How can we, how can we preach these things and then somebody walks in and they see none of it in us? What did, we say? what did we say at the beginning? The evidence that one is filled with the Spirit of Christ loves their brothers and sisters. We don't love so that God will love us. And we don't love just so when they do come in, they might think it's real. People can see right through that. I heard it once said by a Pope, he said evangelize and when necessary use words sounds good doesn't it sounds piffy i'm going to challenge that mr pope evangelism is using words evangelism by definition is to go out and herald and proclaim the gospel that is evangelism there are churches that teach evangelize and when necessary use words and they don't ever evangelize Evangelism, by definition, is the use of words. But I will say this. I will say this. They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When they come and they see the authenticity of our love and grace and mercy towards one another. When they see the, the mutual mercy between sinners. And we proclaim good news rather than condemnation. They will say... There's something different about that place. And we can tell them, yes, it's Jesus. So, to live in this way authenticates the gospel message. Does that make sense? How can we preach the gospel and hate each other? 
It's impossible. Okay. So we've got a command here, haven't we? Jesus says, I command you to love one another as I have loved you. This isn't a nice piece of advice. This isn't a bit of encouragement to say, oh, I encourage you to live this way, it'll be good for you. He commands us to love each other as he has loved us. He commands me and you to love him in the same way that he loved us. Greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. I can't do it. I can't do this, Jesus. I can't obey this command in my flesh. I can't do it in my flesh. I need the Spirit of God in me. Otherwise, I cannot love in this way. How do we do it? Philippians 2, we're going back to it, verses 3 and 8. I think the Apostle Paul gives us a little hint on how we do it. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So it's about humility. Jesus counted others, me and you, more significant than himself. Jesus, the eternal word of God, the one through whom and for whom all things was made, the great I am himself, counted others more significant than himself. Humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, got in his hands and knees, took the form and the posture of a slave, and he, and he washed their feet, dirty, filthy sinners like me and you. He showed humility. He was all powerful, all good, the righteous one, the holy one. He counted me and you more significant than himself, than himself, that he laid down his life for us. How much more so can we and should we count others more significant than ourselves? Who are we? Who are we, brothers and sisters? But we are redeemed sinners that had no ability to wash ourselves. Me and you, we were rank, dead corpses, laying lifeless in the stench of our sins. Who are we to look down on anyone? It's in our humility and in our gratitude towards Jesus and all that he has done for us in abiding in his love for us that we are able to love in this way, in humility and in gratitude. Because without it, we cannot count others more significant than ourselves and we cannot love as Christ has loved. This is the secret. If you want to know how you are to love and to obey this command that Jesus has given us, we have to go to verse 9. Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. This is how we do it. This is how we love as Jesus loved. You have to abide in it. You have to know his love for you and you must lean on it. Notice that Jesus called them friends, knowing that they were about to abandon him. Knowing that these disciples were going to be unfaithful to him that very night. Notice Jesus still said, I call you friends. 
Jesus still loved them. And the question I want to ask you this morning is when you sin, are you tempted to believe that God will not love you anymore? Are you tempted to believe that you earn God's love in friendship and that you can lose it? You cannot lose what you didn't earn, brothers and sisters. God loves you. And that is why he sent Jesus to die for you. Do you know the love with which Jesus loves you this morning? Do you know it? Do you know the hopeless state that you are in as sinners? Destined to perish in hell, do you know? Because when we know this, when we know how helpless we were to save ourselves and the great cost at which we were bought and purchased and redeemed, the great cost of our salvation, when we know the cost and the gift that is presented to us, then we know God's love for us. Jesus, and I, I want to leave you with this, so just perk your ears up, just for this bit. Jesus loved you so much so that he exchanged his glory for shame, that you might exchange your shame for glory. Jesus loved you so much he exchanged his perfect righteousness for sin. Christ became sin for you and me so that we can exchange our sin for Christ's righteousness. Jesus exchanged his life for death so that we can exchange death for life. Do you know the love of Christ for you this morning? When you know this, when you receive it, we have the power to love others as Christ has loved us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we receive your love this morning. Oh Lord, we can do nothing apart from you, your word says. Holy Spirit, fill us anew that we might live out these commands, Lord Jesus, that we might be your people on this earth. Lord, this world needs it. Lord, this world is such a dark place. And Lord, you have called us to shine in the darkness. And Lord, we want to shine for you, Jesus. We want to be Christians that love each other as you love. Lord, I ask this week that you would give us eyes to see the needy around us and a heart to care for them, God. In our fellowship, at our places of work, Holy Spirit, move in us that we might prove to be your disciples. Oh Lord Jesus, we long to live for you and serve for you. Have your way. Amen.